Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adam Young Golf. So today we have a guest on our show, and her name is Tori Totless. Welcome, Tori, to The Sweet Spot. Hi, John. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me on today. It's a pleasure. Yeah, of course. You've been nice enough to have me on your podcast a couple of times, Tea Time, and yep. figure it's time we return the favor here. And here's the thing, John. You know I'm a big fan of yours, and I have dove into the practice manual that Adam has written, but it is the swing, what do you call it, Adam? The swing path rules or whatever that chapter is. He can't remember it. Oh, God, you're asking me to remember something about my own book. He wrote that oh, like 10 years ago. He has no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> well, exactly. You lost me oh, there. The impact or impact rules, maybe yes, the impact laws. Yes. Right. So I, I got to that chapter and I, I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, okay, that's too much information. <laughs> I already think too much on the golf course. So, but big fan. Essentially, this whole show is simplifying that chapter in his book. Perfect. That's what we do Let's in do every single episode. <laughs> I've been very interested watching you, Tori, because I think it's really cool what you've done. Tori has become a really good golfer fairly quickly. How long have you been playing golf? Like a decade seriously and not? Yes. Okay. About a decade seriously. That's when I got my handicap, started competing in local and state tournaments. So, yeah. And you've gotten pretty good. You've won Arizona Player of the Year. You've made it to a U.S. Mid-Am club championships. Yes. So, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Done it all. Yep. I was a tennis and softball player. Okay. Growing up. So, I feel like I had a head start on to golf. Nice. Just with the whole stick and ball coordination it's situation. Helpful. So, yeah. you're a really good golfer and you've gotten really good quickly. So, we'll definitely pick your brain on that cuz I think I didn't get that good that quickly. It took me a lot longer. And one of the things that I always found value in was when I was able to play with a really good golfer who got good fairly quickly. I was always like, how do you do it? And and that's one of the things, I don't know if we've done enough of that on this show. So we'll definitely pick your brain as a recreational slash competitive player and how you got there. But I'm also fascinated about like what you've done with your business. And I think for people who are interested in like, well, how do content creators make a business? And you do all of these retreats, like you go to Ireland, you go to Scotland, you've do these events in Arizona with like 200 plus women. I've picked your brain on it because I'm interested in doing it, but I don't think I can execute it like you. So I'm probably not going to do it, but <laughs> that is not true. Let's talk about, we've had a lot of men on this show and most of the people who listen to the show are men. We have good demographic data. I think we're like 95% men and 5% women. And I've heard from the female listeners. So we wanted to get a female perspective on the show. And to make it clear, I hate when people do this. I'm not asking you to speak on behalf of women because I think that's absolutely silly. I'm just kind of curious to hear what you're seeing in the women's game at the recreational level. That's what we're kind of interested in at this show. So tell us about what you've done with Complete Confidence Golf and, and everything else you've done over the last five plus years. Yeah. So I was in the fitness area and I was doing a lot of content creation with fitness and it just so happened because I was playing golf recreationally a lot at the time, most of my fitness clients were golfers too. So it just gradually went from fitness content, fitness content to all golf content. You know, it just kind of migrated over that way. And 
I wanted to make a practice program that was like a fitness program. Each day was separate or unique, and you can use an app to see what your practice plan was for the day. And you went to the range and you were able to watch the drills on the app and you had this workbook to fill out at the end of the practice session. And that was really the start of my golf business was making that program. I had a videographer out there on the practice facilities with me doing all the drills and I had the workbook made and I put it out there as a digital course, pretty much on a digital course platform. And that really kicked off my golf business was making that because it wasn't I reached this plateau in in my golf game. I was around, I hit like a four handicap for the first time. And I remember going to this tournament and my friend goes, oh my gosh, you're a four handicap. Good for you. And I was so excited, obviously. And I immediately that day shot like a 95 (laughs) in that tournament and my index skyrocketed. You know, like I went to a four very briefly and then I was back to a seven or eight. And I had to learn really how to practice. Instead of just going out onto the range and banging balls, I had my teaching professional write a plan for me. And it worked. And I was able to get my handicap index back down. And that's what inspired me to make that program. And that really kickstarted the business. It turned into a huge women's golf community. And I've been running tournaments like within the country clubs and the leagues that I was a part of for years and years. And I was like, you know what? I want to make a tournament that's for all of these women and and for this community. And it just blossomed into tournaments and retreats. And now I'm I'm in. Yeah, you're like going every time I... I've looked at your site a few times and there's always like a new Scotland or Ireland trip. And then you have the big ones in the United States where you have the bigger tournaments. I've seen a lot of this happen over the last five years, just in golf in general. There's like this real thirst for like smaller communities. Like we've seen it with our friends on Chasing Scratch. Like I've been to some of their events. I've been to some golfer journals events, which is like a great quarterly publication. To my knowledge, are there a lot more of these happening in the female game or are you one of the few people doing this? I'd like to think that my events are unique, but there is so many other events going on, especially for beginner golfers, just communities and clinics and Friday night range meetups that are very open to bringing women in so that it's a less intimidating atmosphere. You know, you're seeing it a ton in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. So women really want that to feel not as intimidated going to the golf course. They want to be able to meet friends. They want to meet people that they'll be able to go out on the golf course on and just get their feet wet and get out there and get comfortable. You know, I feel like that's the hardest thing sometimes for women is being able to, because they love it right away. Like we all do as golfers, you know, you hit that first ball with your driver that goes straight and far and you're instantly hooked. But then what are the ins and outs of it? And, you know, it's still a man's world out there. So you got to learn the path. You got to learn what's going on at the golf course. So everybody plays golf for different reasons. I know there's some research on it, but what what have you found the, the reasons that women are mainly playing golf for? Is it more social interaction? I think it's a lot of social, a lot of sense of community. I think we like to, you know... For women, the partner events are much more popular 
than individual tournaments and individual events. You know, we want that sense of community. We want to have our buddies there with us. We want to be getting the outfits ready and having an experience around the golf course, not just the rounds of golf itself. So um, you see that a lot. For me personally, I am hyper competitive. You know what I mean? And I, I grew up playing sports. And when I found golf later in life, it was that outlet I needed to get out there and, and be competitive and put myself in a spot where I'm learning something new and I want to master it, you know, and it's the thrill of getting better. So when you took up golf for the first time, being an athlete in different sports, how was that experience for you? Is it similar to a lot of the women you're bringing into the game? Like, were you intimidated? Because again, you show up to the golf course, like it's mostly men and mm -hmm. could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I'm not sure. I'm not a female, so I don't know. But what was it like for you when you first took up the game? Did you feel like more self-conscious about it? Give us some of your perspective and what it took to kind of overcome that. And more importantly, also become really good too. So maybe you were yeah. worried about two different things. So when I first started like going to the range, because that's how it started, you know, I, I would go to the range with my husband and I would just hit balls with him because he was playing a lot of golf at the time. So I figured I might as well join him or learn how to play golf or he's just going to be gone all the time playing golf, which so I, which is ironic now because I play a lot more golf than he does at this <laughs> point. But, so I started going to the range, but I think because I grew up playing sports and I consider myself an athlete. I knew I needed to get lessons right away. So I actually started to, I went to a John Jacobs golf school. Uh, I don't know if that's more of a Southwest thing, but they have locations all around the world. And it's like a full immersion golf school, three or four days. And I just knew I needed to do that in order to learn the game. And I think because I started getting lessons right away, I felt more confident going out onto the golf course and going to the range and doing all that on my own. So I don't remember being super intimidated, but you know, there's still times now that you go to the range and you're the only female there and yeah, it could be, un it can be uncomfortable, but I think the more you're around the sport, the more you realize we're not all that good. <laughs> the vast majority is not that good. So there's no, you know, we're just all out there to have a good time and get the most out of the sport that it comes to you. I think it's an important point because I think all people, we, we do have a lot of beginners who listen to the show. And definitely consume Adam's content and mine. And they always ask me, like, what's the best start? And like, I still can't think of a better answer. It's like, get lessons because <laughs> it just, it prepares you. I think all golfers are intimidated, male and female, when they take up the game because there's a lot of etiquette stuff. There's a lot of like fear of like, oh, I suck. I don't want to hold people up, like a lot of that. And I think getting a good coach, an instructor, to kind of guide you through that process and show you the ropes can really not eliminate, but at least bypass a lot of that. Absolutely. And just putting yourself out there, whether it's joining a ladies league or a men's league or something to where you have to put yourself out there to play with other people and you ask questions. You have to allow yourself to ask questions about rules, about etiquette. Like that's the only way you're going to learn and I always joke around that it's the women that I played in the ladies league with in the early days. They taught me most things about golf. You know, they taught me more about golf than the golf pros. You know, it's the people you play with. So you got to put yourself out there. It could be scary at times when you think that you're not good enough, but 
You just got to. It's the only way to take it to the next level. I don't think that fear ever goes away for most players, no matter how good you get at this game. Because there's always (laughs) someone better and there's always someone to be intimidated by. Yes. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Is there much group coaching out in your area? Because that's something that I did in Santa Barbara. We offered it. I mean, mainly it was beginners that came. There were a lot of ladies that came. And it was good because you could spend a lot of time with them because it was a case of I was there 30, 40 hours a week, uh, just running lessons constantly and people could come in in and out, kind of like a, a fitness class, really. Yeah. And so people could get, I mean, often you'd have people there five hours a week. I think, haven't you had enough of me yet? And they're like, no, I love it. I'm learning so much. But like you said, I mean, there's only so, even even with that amount of time, there's only so much I can do as a coach and even going out on the golf course with them and doing rules. It was just great to have that group coaching where then people could make friends and they could go off and start playing with each other as well. Is that something that's happening out in Arizona? Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's mostly beginner level or just, you know, let's say one to two years and under, which is silly to me because I think of, you know, growing up playing tennis, it was always group lessons. It was rarely you got a private lesson. It was always groups of people. And to me, that's more fun. So it's interesting that that isn't a concept that's taken for all levels of golf, but I would say most of them are focused on the beginner golfer for sure, but there are definitely plenty to pick from. So that's at least good. The great thing with golf is it's so scalable with the handicap system. And, you know, we used to do things where there would be good players in the group along with complete beginners. We just start them from different areas. The beginners would start 30 yards from the green. The better players would start farther back. Or we'd even do games where as they got better, they moved farther back. And so Mm -hmm. it eventually reached the point where this is challenging for that player. You'd have a good player all the way at 100 yards maybe, and the beginner might be at 20 yards and they trying to achieve the same goal. So that was a great way of getting good players and beginners together. And the good players, the the beginners can learn from the good players because there's lots that they know that the beginners won't know. Exactly. That reminds me of the Op36 program. Have you heard of that? Yeah, that's a very, very good program. It really is. And it's really, again, they're probably marketing more to the beginner golfer, but I think at all levels, we can get a lot out of starting a hole from 25 yards out and just trying to get up and down for 18 holes and then going back to 50 yards. I mean, absolutely. That would help me a lot if I did that on a regular basis. There's this constant, I don't know if it's the biggest fear anymore since COVID because I think we grew the game too much, but let's say pre-COVID, there's just always this like collective fear in golf of the game shrinking and it going away eventually. So everyone in the golf industry has this like pressure on them to grow the game which I never fully, I kind of get it and I don't get it at the same time. But I would assume that one of the biggest growth potentials is in the female market. Do you have any sense or data that you've come across as to what female participation at the junior level or adult level has been like? Is there more of it, do you feel? Yeah, I heard, I mean, multiple times that the women demographic is the fastest growing demographic in golf right now, which does not surprise me whatsoever. I mean, just yesterday we had our opening day, ladies day, you know, here in Arizona, we're just having, we're just opening up for the season oh, God, I hate uh, you. this week. <laughs> oh, I'm like, just so, shut it down now. Same here. <laughs> So just yesterday, we had our opening day in Ladies League, and there's just so many new faces still. 
it's really great to see. So at the junior level, I mean, I would assume it's the same way. I am immersed in the women's recreational sector. So I don't know a ton of junior stats, but I got to believe that that is the same in the junior in the junior sector too. What do you think is getting the women you're coming across? Like why, when you ask them, like why, why are they getting into golf now? I think that it's just becoming more apparent out there to, let's just use social media as an example. You are seeing a lot more women out on the golf course. You're actually seeing it. The golf course, when you're working out upstairs in the gym, at least at my course, the gym's upstairs and you're looking out onto the golf course, you're seeing a lot more women out there. So I just think the optics of it all is like, oh, wait, this is something a lot of women are doing. I'm going to test it out because, again, a lot of these players are maybe tennis players or pickleball players, and they don't want to do that physical strain anymore. They want to do something a little more low impact, or their kids are now fully in school and they have the time to play nine or 18 holes now. So they want to get into it. You know, a lot of these women, their husbands already play. So it's already kind of part of their life and they just want to get in on it. And, and again, the optics are so much stronger than it was even 10 years ago with there's just so many more women out on the course, which is great. That's awesome. I have two children, one, I have a boy and a girl. Neither of them are interested in golf. I've tried very badly, but my daughter is the one who I think shows more promise if I'm being honest. And I'm hoping she, she'll come around in a couple of years. She's into dance and gymnastics right now, so I don't want to take her off that course. Here's the thing, John. I know exactly how you feel. The, the first question everyone asks me is, do your kids play golf? Yeah. I'm like, and I no. Was, yeah, same, same here. I'm like, nope, they hate it. <laughs> it's like I almost feel shame. I'm like, what? No, they just, I tried. Okay, I tried my artist, and they just didn't latch on. It's too... I mean, golf takes so much focus, so much patience, so much concentration. It's like you got to, not every kid's going to grasp onto that. I mean, it's hard enough as adults. How old are your kids? My kids are now 17, 16, 14, but they grew up doing junior golf at the club. You know, I'd drop, well, I'd actually go practice while they were doing it. And they probably each had about three or four years of junior golf and under their belt, you know, just going there once a week for a clinic and just none of them loved it. So what are you going to do? It is a bit, I always say this, it's a bit of a take it or leave it proposition. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can't like dabble in golf, like you're either in or you're out. And I guess I just know they're going to come back. As soon as they're in their 20s or 30s, they're going to realize how much fun the sport is. And they're going to be like, oh, wait, our parents do this. Oh, well, I'll go play with them. So they'll be back. Let's hope so. They'll be back on the golf course eventually. So tell us about your game. What's your handicap these days? How low have you gotten? I am in a low or you know how golf is a roller coaster. Mm. Okay. I am in the low spot right now. (laughs) As Adam would say, I am a full goat humper. Okay. So I'm battling (laughs) right now a swing change to get out of goat humping. Okay. I was dying at your episode the other day where you're talking about it and you were saying so many like the early extension, the early release, I'm battling it all right now. But the lowest I got was about a plus one just a year ago. So that's why I'm a little, I'm in my soft cap era right now. I'm a 2.2, I think right now. And the USGA has officially soft capped me. So you know the headspace I'm in right now. (laughs) We're feeling a little vulnerable. Oh, yes. I'm vulnerable. I'm going through swing changes. Golf is really hard right now. What do you think? I think a lot of golfers always 
what we we did a couple episodes on what it takes to be a scratch golfer and Mm -hmm. it was incredibly popular like anytime you mention the word like scratch golfer on twitter or anywhere like it's moths to a flame like everyone's like how what when how yeah (laughs) Yeah. everyone wants to know so you took up golf just over 10 years ago seriously tell us through like what that progression was like because a lot of people are always saying like you know, it's the milestones, the getting comfortable breaking 100, 90, 80, and all the failures along the way. So what did it take for you to become an absolute beginner to become Mm -hmm. a plus handicap? Like what habits, what did you have to go through? Yeah. So I actually look at it as three, three breakthroughs I had. So the first or three sections, let's call it the first section from beginner to a 10 handicap. I had to get there by, I consistently took lessons and I played consistently. Okay. I wasn't practicing consistently, let's say, but I was playing consistently and I was getting lessons consistently. And I got down to a 10. I'm going to say easily. That could be obnoxious, but it's just the truth. I just, it was a natural swing for me. So I got there. It wasn't until I focused on my short game that I got down to a low single digit. So got down to a three, four, five. And then I stayed there for a while. I'd stayed there for probably three years. And I didn't get off of that plateau because I would, I would consider that a plateau until I figured out how to actually play golf, how to have good strategy out there, how to have course management, how to practice came more going from a 10 handicap to a low single digit. But I needed to learn how to play golf, like how to do it smart. As simple as that sounds, but there is a switch that happens when you figure out how to manage a course better, make better decisions. What are some of the things of smart golf that you would give to listeners? Yeah, I mean, things as easy as this is not a driver hole. As much as I want to hit this ball as far down the fairway as possible, it's just not a driver hole. I have to lay up. I have to use a different club. Having a different club that is a good option, that's a fairway finder. Aiming far away from all trouble, you know, no matter what. So getting rid of those double bogeys for sure. You're playing desert golf. And yes. I haven't played a lot of desert golf, but when I have, I feel like there is a disproportionate worry or even reward for avoiding the desert because it's everywhere right you could just it's good or lost yeah exactly yeah there's just it's 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 similar to florida golf if i've played a lot of florida golf like on housing communities where it's like oh crap that's going to be in someone's backyard or a lake up in the northeast we have more like tree line courses so if you hit it right like oh it's going to smack around the trees a bit and not be as big of a problem so yeah i feel like desert golf tee shot strategy can and change a just of a touch. <laughs> oh yeah. And you know, when people come visit Scottsdale, they want to play the true north. They want to play Greyhawk. They want to play Wikipaw. They want to play T well, TPC is pretty mild as far as desert's concerned. But those courses, boulders, you get off of the fairway, you're in a bush. If you find it, you're taking unplayable. You're most likely not going to find it. It's terrible. So even though the fairways are wider, people consider desert golf to have wider fairways, you still only see the desert and it is tough to swing free on desert courses. I belong to a club down in Phoenix that's more of a traditional course and I tend to have my favorite courses in in this area be more traditional or at least the desert's not as penal. So, you know, if you go in there, you're at least just 
taking a chunk out of your wedge when you hit out of it, but that's it. Learning how to manage the course better, learning how to make smarter decisions and being more patient, especially in those tournament rounds, how to be a better competitive player and putting myself in situations where I am playing tournaments that make me feel incredibly uncomfortable because that makes everything else more comfortable. And, and that was hard for me to realize. It's a lonely spot out there on the golf course in a stroke play tournament. There is literally, I don't think there's anything lonelier on the earth. (laughs) (laughs) No one, no one's coming to save you. And I got to touch on your mid-am, John, when you shared about the fact where it was like the night before the day of when you realized, you know, you're getting all these text messages of good luck and good wishes for the mid-am, your mid-am experience. And I had the same experience where there was people texting me and I know they're watching and it's like your throat is closing up and you're like your world, you're like, (laughs) oh my God, what did I get myself into? So I could really relate to that and how the amount of pressure you feel. But I mean, there's nothing, I don't think we'd ever take away those experiences. No. And I think what's important, and you probably get this question all the time too. It's like, how I break a hundred, how I break 90, how I break 80. and while I'd love to talk about all the positive things you need to do, obviously the practicing, the strategy, all that stuff, the idea of being uncomfortable and failing and choking at the end, I always like to hear this from other golfers. When you started hitting your plateau, were you feeling like you would approach rounds where you're like, all right, I'm playing for my target score here and you could feel it's close and then like, you know, the last few holes, maybe you stumble, like just talk about the bad stuff, because I don't think a lot of golfers, I mean, we know what it feels like, but I I think it's almost the ticket you need to punch if you want to get better, like dealing with that stuff and then going back to the drawing board. So yeah, talk about a lot of the set. I mean, you're having a setback right now, (laughs) but talk about that a bit, what it took. Oh, absolutely. My mind goes directly to this tournament, the Southwestern. So this was June of 2022. And I'm probably playing the best golf of my life. I had just came in second of the women's mid-am, the Arizona women's mid-am. And so I was feeling good. It was my best finish at that tournament. And it just was like I was going into this Southwestern tournament thinking, who knows, something might happen to college. It's mostly college players. They do handpick a couple mid-ams to play in it. But, you know, I thought maybe I'll make the cut. Who knows? I'm playing really good golf right now. And it was at Desert Mountain up in Scottsdale. And I go into it and I shoot a 95. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, just everything went wrong that day. Every miss, every three putt, every, I mean, it was just, you want, I wanted to crawl in a hole and never come out. Yep. Cause again, I've been, I was posting about it on social media. I've learned now to share about everything. Because whatever happens, it's fine. Who cares? You got to, if you're going to share the good stuff, you got to share the bad stuff. So again, I go into this already because it was a big production, the Southwestern tournament. So I was looking, sharing all the scoreboards and all that stuff. And, and yeah, I put up a 95 the first day and I played with Grace Summerhays was in the group and she shot a 64 that day. So I had Grace Summerhays in my group shooting the lowest round of the day and me shooting the, shooting the <laughs> highest score of the day, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, and she was so nice, so kind. I mean, talk about 
you know, you always think that your bad game will make someone else's game go down or whatever. I mean, she was so pleasant and it was just quite an experience. And at the end of the day, you take away from it. Like I, I got to watch Grace Summerhays just light it up at Desert Mountain. Like it was such a treat and you learn from the players you're playing with too. But that's the first thing that came to mind. But yeah, we have these lows like I'm in right now where you cannot feel a swing whatsoever. I can't feel a swing at all. And it's hard to, you know, I practice quite a bit, but when you're out on the course to stop yourself from fixing everything and trying to like try new things after every swing, I'm battling no feel at this point. Like I said, it's a dark place because you, at the time right now, you feel like you're never going to come out of it. And you're never going to be back to the player that you were or the player that you can be. But I've been in these situations before, which I'm sure, John and Adam, you have too, where you can't feel a thing and you think that you'll never get back to it. But we always do. So I have that in past memory at this point. So like, I know we'll get there, but right now it's just brutal. I was going to ask, this isn't the first time that you've gone through a major swing change. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalance can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, brain fog, and weakness, which is the last thing you want when you're playing golf. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix. Each stick pack delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. It's used by Olympians, professional athletes, special forces like the Navy SEALs, health experts, and for people like you and me who just want to maintain their everyday health. Now that it's a bit colder out, it gets crazy dry and hydration is as important as ever. Element has a ton of delicious flavors. I've tried a bunch of them and they just released their new chocolate medley line, which allows you to enjoy Element Hot. You've got chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry to choose from, and they're all designed to be enjoyed hot. They also have a no risk refund policy. If you don't like it, just send it back for a full refund. Now for our special offer for Sweet Spot listeners. If you want to give Element a try and get a free special gift, go to drinkelement.com forward slash sweet spot. Once again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash sweet spot. When you're hiring for your small business like I have to, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And you can always support us by checking them out at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just another job board. It is a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. I know a ton of people who are using it for multiple reasons, and LinkedIn has absolutely exploded over the last few years. There's wonderful content on business ideas, but more importantly, it gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. Anyone who runs a small business knows that hiring is easy when you can get that quality candidate. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate from LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that people like me and other small businesses like Adam or maybe you are wearing so many hats and you might not have the time or resources to hire. It's not like all of us can have our own HR department. That's why there are over 2.5 million small businesses using LinkedIn for hiring. If you want to give it a shot and post your job for free, go to linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. 
That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know if I've been as committed as I am right now. So, you know, I'm seeing a teaching professional once a week, if not once a week, twice a week. I started back in the summer and, you know, I've been battling early extension and early release for a while now. And it's just, it's like, when are you going to work on this? You know, but then again, I was listening to your podcast the other day and I was like, well, you have to be careful. I think you said you have to, as a good player, you have to be careful of the new swing techniques or new swing adjustments that you want to commit to. So then it's like questioning me like, well, maybe it was fine. Maybe, maybe this was not something that needed to be effed with. Let's talk about your ball flight. What's going on Mm. if you had to put your finger on it? The plus one Tory versus the two to three soft handicap Tory. Like, are there meaningful yeah. differences in your strike start direction? We like to start with our big three. Is it a little bit of mental stuff in there? Like, if you have to take a hard look at your game and the feedback you're seeing, like, what is the difference between those two versions of yourself? Yeah. So I'll start with this. This has been a very busy year for me. So. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background, which we know what's happening in real life kind of shows up on the golf course. So I do think there's an element of that. Well, yeah, you've got, let's take a step back here for a second. Yeah. You've got three kids in high school, <laughs> Yeah, which is insane. They're a load too. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, I'm like, oh man, I'm so scared about my kids going in high school. <laughs> so there's that. You're running all these events, yeah. which are very intensive online programs, your posts, your, your social media presence is huge. So I feel some of this too, because, you know, I'm running a content business and trying to be a good competitive player. You think you're taking on too much? Is that bleeding into your game? Is it a swing thing? Let's dig deeper here. Exactly. Exactly. See, well, that's why I really admire you that you do want to be a highly skilled competitive golfer and that you share your journey, John. So I appreciate that. That is exactly what I want to do too. And it's important to me. I feel like one of my pillars in my business is showing my journey and showing women about sharing my journey and showing them what it looks like. So I think that's very important to my business. But yeah, I think on the craziness level of business and family, I just think I got too much going on. Like I probably need to narrow it down a little bit. But sometimes that's hard to do. You know, you don't know what really I have to really look back or sit back and see, Okay, what's working right now? Okay, that needs to go on the back burner because, again, being a very good golfer is important to me. So I know that for sure. What is manifesting on the golf course? Like, why do you think your scores are higher right now? I'm just looking at swing, my full swing right now. It is definitely a right to left naturally, but when I am struggling, it becomes a very harsh hook. And even when it's fairly straight, even when the hook's not that bad, it is hitting the green and it is spinning way left. Yesterday, I was hitting par threes, but then they were spinning off the green to the left. And, you know, usually I can get up and down from it, but it's just frustrating. It's like, it's just... It is going left, man. That's when my swing gets troublesome is when the hook get just gets worse and worse and worse. Any idea what your numbers are looking like on a, are you using like a track man or anything like that with your instructor? 
No, and actually, I was going to ask you about that. Okay, so I really like my instructor, and I think he knows what he's doing. I'm not trying to get only, him fired, by the way. I'm just no, asking it's questions. okay. <laughs> but he only works off of video. He never brings out a track man. And I bet if I were to say, let's bring out the track man, he would, but he never brings it out. He only works on video. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, a good coach can get a lot from the ball flight. We know if a ball is starting here and curving this much, we can get an idea what the face to path is. We, we don't need a track man. Track man will give us more precise numbers for definite. But if you've got a big hook, even without seeing your swing, I already know your path is probably in to out and definitely your face is too close to it. And so those are the things that you'd be working on. So yeah, it's not it's not always the worst thing to have just working on video and not have the track man. But if he has one there, I wonder why he's not leaving, running in, in the background just to get the numbers for himself. But, you know, things like angle of attack might be tough to get visually. But again, you can get a good sense by what, what people are doing. So yeah, it's not always the end of the world to do that style of coaching. If he likes doing it more visually, I know maybe he feels that you're more of a visual person and less of a, a numbers person, mm -hmm. which lots of people are. Well, listen, I struggled with what you're struggling with for years and I didn't really... I used ball flight to get out of it mostly. I didn't sit there staring at my my swing path all the time, but I knew what it was when I started. It was probably a 10 to 12 into out, and now it's three to four with a seven iron. But yeah, I think we try and keep things simple. So it's either, you know, you got two options or a blend of both. Get the face more open or get the path less into out. Yes. That's it. And do that. the path seems less scary to me. Does okay. that make sense? Well, like, it, it'd be interesting the, to see what, what your numbers are. Like, is your path like a six with a seven iron? Is it 10? Like, is it, maybe that's a good question. Let, let's just benchmark yeah. it to see at your worst what it looks like. Maybe the face yeah. angle is more important. I think the cues are different for each player. So for me, mm -hmm. I've talked about this ad nauseum. It's just like, I just felt like I was trying to hit cuts and leave the face open as much. And that was kind of over the gradually over a bunch of years. That's how I straightened it out. But you might need a different cue. It sounds like you're going the early extension route. Yeah. Yeah. It's maddening. It is, you know. <laughs> Well, let me tell you how I how I changed it, okay. Tori, because I had the same yeah. issue. It sounds like all of us have had the hooks in the past, yeah. you know, too much in to out, mm -hmm. too, the face too close to it. All I did to reduce the face being closed is I opened it at a dress. Literally that. <laughs> yep. I opened it at a dress, then, then I gripped it. And then to change the swing path to make it curve less, I just visualized a nail through the ball. I, I mentally angled that nail to the left. Mm -hmm. And I just tried to hammer that nail. So that made me swing more to the left. And that was my way of changing path and face just through intention or instinct. I didn't really worry too much about my, my swing or my motion. That's not to say that's not a good thing to do or a part of the process, definitely. But certainly that's how I changed my... And Adam, do you think of that for every club in your bag? Or is that just going to be for longer irons? Or is that something you even have to put in your brain for wedges? Well, you know what? Now I don't have to because I've done the training. It's automatically sunk into my motion. So now I don't hit a big hook, even if I'm just zombie golf, just hitting, mm -hmm. hitting balls. But that was, you know, after months of training. But yeah, when I was doing the learning process, initially, I had to actually over exaggerate it. I had to, like John said, feel as if you're hitting cuts. I felt like I'm swinging left with an open face, you know, complete opposite of what my pattern was. Mm -hmm. It probably feel very similar for all of the clubs for me, but you can adjust it. If you have one club that you hook more than the other, then you might open the face a little bit more for that. 
Or in an ideal world, you get that club fit so it matches the rest of your set. You know, there's lots of things you could do with driver weight locations and shafts so that it matches the rest of the set. But yeah. is there, you find your hit your wedge is okay, but the longer clubs start to hook more? Yes, for sure. So at the yardage I'm playing, it's a driver wedge putter game for me at most yardages I'm playing. When I go into national championships, then, then it's more of a longer iron, but if my wedges are if my drivers on my wedges are on my putters on that's a pretty good round for me so but i'm not hooking those by any means but it's just you know it's just frustrating cuz the the longer irons can put me in big trouble if they're hooking into oblivion or the driver yeah it's it's a part of physics so if if you make the same error you know if that club face is just 1 degrees closed with a wedge, you won't notice it. You're not even going to see any curvature, really, maybe a yard of curvature. Yeah. Whereas with a driver, that can be 12 yards offline. So yeah. it's 12 times magnified for the same error, really. So I think once you start to neutralize the error with the longer clubs, even your shorter clubs will get slightly more accurate if, if they needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, your task in practice is to exaggerate the opposite like can you start to feel under no pressure what it's like to almost blast your driver way right or a five yeah. iron way right mm -hmm. get that yeah. start line if you need throw a alignment stick in the middle of the ground in front of you and being like i am not going to start the ball to the left of this thing i'm going to do everything i can to, to start this thing to the right it's frustrating because i know exactly like it is you know, Hogan always said that, like he just couldn't live with the hook, like the hook, especially for, for a better player, it's just, you can't live with it. It, it goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like the spin falls out of yeah. the sky. It's a very frustrating problem to have. I, I intimately know what it feels like. It sucks. But yeah, the way out is open face. I think for the most part is like feeling, cause that, I think that can override the swing path issues as well. Like the open face is, is, is the path out. <laughs> Let me just confuse all the words there. Yeah. But at least that gives me something to kind of focus on on the range because that's the worst part of sometimes being in a rut where you go to the, you're like, okay, fine, I'm going to go to the range, I'm going to work on it. But then feeling like, oh, am I working on the right thing? Am I just making the problem worse? You know, and that's usually why I just go chip and putt because I know that that will be safe. And that's the hardest thing is like we default to what makes us comfortable. Mm hmm if you know what hurts the most, you don't want to start seeing that over and over again. But yeah, I think no matter what you work on with your instructor, technically, that to me would be like the most simple, basic thing you could challenge yourself to do when you practice being like, I'm just going to mess around here for a bit and use my athleticism to get this ball starting right of my target. And then let's go from there. Like that's a starting point. Even if you'd have to do even what Adam said, like, I used to flash the face so open <laughs> where it was almost ridiculous with a long iron. And then over the years, I could kind of close it a bit more just to make myself feel more comfortable. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. it's different for everyone, but that that is ultimately like the crux of the problem. Like you can't mm -hmm. have left going left. Exactly. So yeah. 
A good exercise would just be to go go to the range. You might spend five minutes doing this, 10 minutes. Just hit the ball to the right, you know, have the intention, use your athleticism to open the face at impact. And you can even start with it, open it, address if you want. But just do it in varying amounts. So spend five minutes doing a big right, a small right, and a medium right, just to start to get a feel for it. Because I know lots of players worry, well, isn't that the wrong way of doing it? It's not. Once you have those skills there and those feels there, you you can use them in the future wherever your technique goes. So say in the future you manage to get rid of your early release and early extension. Those skills will still apply to that new technique as well. I did a video on this yesterday about how skills and technique, we should work on both of them. You know, continue to work with your instructor on the early release, early extension pattern that you have, but also see as a separate entity working on your skills. Can I hit it more right? Can I hit it more left? Can I do it in varying amounts? You know, that's one one skill to work on. Hitting different parts of the face is another skill that we talk about as well. So yeah, working on both of those will really help you. It'll help you with the swing change as well. Let's remind yourself of the good times. And you've gotten into a US Mid-Am as well. You won a mm-hmm. club championship. You won player of the year in the whole state. Talk yeah. about all those good moments under pressure where you felt, you know, maybe something slipping away, like what, I think every competitive golfer, every really good golfer figures this out on some level in those moments where you felt the result coming in your consciousness, what gave you comfort under pressure to perform well? Cause obviously you've played a lot of great golf under pressure. Yeah, no, the work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the work that you put in. I mean, there's only so much manifesting you can do and journaling and visualizing you can do. You got to do the work too. So when you're standing over, I remember a putt in a club championship. It was about eh, probably five or six feet and I needed to make it to win. And I stood over it and I said to myself, I said, you have practiced this putt so many freaking times. You know the line. Just go up there and do it. And I did it. And it was like, it is the work prior that I continue to do. And I've consistently done for four years, let's say I've consistently really been working on my game that gives you that confidence that you need in those high pressure environments. And really, again, putting myself in those super uncomfortable, high pressure tournaments, learning how to swing when you're really nervous is a thing, you know, learning how to play golf when your hands are shaking for the first three holes. You have to just continue to put yourself in that situation. So each time it becomes a little less shaky, a little less nervous, you know, and then going to find the next thing that will make you nervous again. But really doing the work consistently has gave me the confidence in those rounds for sure. And you just, when you trust the process, it shows up sometimes. Well, yeah, it's the great combination of work and experience. And we had a great mental coach on named Jared Tendler. I think he was on the show six months or a a while back. But, you know, when people ask the same questions over and over again, like, how do I get rid of my first tea jitters or all this? And his response is quite simple. It's like, well, maybe stop taking breakfast balls. That'd be a good start. Like (laughs) (laughs) not feeling like you have this safety blanket behind you or you stink over six foot putts. Stop taking Mm -hmm. them when someone gives them to you, like putt them out. 
again, it's it's a simple message, but you're you've lived it. Is is the only way to mitigate? I don't think you ever solve these things. Everyone gets nervous because it means something to you, and you could be less mm-hmm. nervous, but it could still be there. But a lot of it has to do with again making yourself uncomfortable seeing what that feels like, go back to the drawing board, do the work, and then you go back next time with a little bit better perspective. Like it's not complicated. People have been talking about this for the longest time in many sports. But I think a lot of golfers aren't asking themselves the right questions or they're almost too scared to make themselves that uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I got to say, you went back to the club championship too. I mean, that was, there were a lot of losing, a lot of losses before I finally won the club championship. And then I won a couple after that. But what is it about the club championship that just gets in your head, man? I don't know what it is. I think it's the most, yeah, I've been working on this book on competitive golf and I want to address like, you know, club level golfers, whether that's people in like a country club in the United States or even in the UK and Australia and other countries. Competition's like way more embedded into the game there. So there's all these like team matches. I'm actually jealous of what they do in the UK. It's just more baked into the culture over there. It's very cool. But you know, I'm trying to give people the right perspective. And part of it's like, you need to get your ass kicked. Mm-hmm. And you need to feel like crap afterwards. And you need to come back from that. And everyone needs to go through that. Like I went through that. I shared some embarrassing stories in my club championship. I missed like a nine inch putt in front of like 50 people because I thought it was match play and it wasn't. And that sucked. But, you know, you need to go through stuff like that. But to your point, there's something about playing in your community and in front of your peers that is more pressure. Like I felt more pressure trying to win a club championship than I have playing in a national championship or like bigger amateur tournaments or low-end pro tournaments like there's something about that community and that your peers where you're kind of like oh this is a little more nerve-wracking no absolutely and you put this it just means so much more i just don't it's it's quite fascinating and yes i have those horror stories as well as far as losing the club championship i mean there were lots of tears shed in the locker room after screwing up the final match all of it oh yeah yeah what have you learned about your ass kickings? So are there, yeah. are there certain teachable moments that you've had? You, I never do that again, or I should do more of this next yeah. time. Yeah, have you like lost your temper too much? Like, What did you notice when things didn't yeah. go well, and did you have to adjust based on that? So I do consider myself a much better stroke player than match play. Match play is something that I have to learn how to play better at. But I've noticed in the losses, in the big losses – I can feel it very early on, and I probably dwell on that too much. Like, you know, it could be the sixth, seventh, eighth hole, and I'm saying to myself, I don't got it today. This is not going to happen. I could just feel it. And I probably dwell on that so long that I I almost make that happen. I almost, I don't want to say give up, but it probably takes away a ton of my focus. But that is what I can consistently see in each one of those big losses is that there was a level of giving up way too early or just sensing that it wasn't my day. And, you know, match play is a totally different animal. You're doing shots that you are not necessarily smart shots and you're realizing that wasn't what was necessary. You know, a lot of times you're trying to make this hero shot when... And then you lose the hole with a, bo- you know, like with a bogey, you didn't even have to make a birdie kind of thing. And it's, it's a whole different animal. Well, that's just it. Like I've, I find match play 
it, it lures you into thinking you need to do something much differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a bigger mistake. So what do I mean by that? We've touched upon this on other episodes, but I find that a lot of it's a different mental challenge because you have a singular opponent and you can't help but react to every outcome that they have. Like it's impossible to say like, oh, don't pay attention to what the other player is doing. Like that's ridiculous. Or just play your game. Yeah, just play your game. But I do think there is some truth in that as well. And like as I've gotten better at match play, like there's a certain element of, okay, they hit their tee shot there or they hit their approach shot there on the green. And if that gets you to make a different strategic decision or have a different mindset over the shot, then you're operating with incomplete information. And I think that's where a lot of players struggle is that, you know, let's say you were down early in the match, you went down three or four and you're like, oh, this sucks. Like I'm feeling pretty down on myself. This isn't my day. You have no clue what that player is going to do on the 12th hole or 11th hole. They might pump three out of bounds on the next three holes. And I think the only answer I've found in match play is to almost not think you're doing too much differently than if you're playing in a stroke play event. Like I'm Mm going to step up to the ball and pick a good target, go through my process and hit the shot. And what this person does, like I'm paying attention, but I have no control over it. And that's Mm -hmm. so hard to do. But I think that's what match play like tricks you into thinking is that like it's like this reactionary form of golf. And it's like, no, if he, they hit it to eight feet, I'm not going to all of a sudden aim at that pin. I have no clue if they're going to make that putt. They could three putt it from there. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But I at exactly. least want to give myself a chance to get the ball on the green rather than maybe go after a tuck pin and short side myself. And then, well, now I'm making bogey. Well, and I don't know if this is the case for you guys, but a lot of the matches, the big matches that I've lost, I've never felt that they beat me. You know what I mean? Like I've always felt a very big, weight on my shoulders. Like I gave that away. And that too, is just, it's the mind, the mind tricks that match play takes on you. And it just makes me not like match play at all. I have like zero confidence in it. It's a strange, I don't call it a strange format, but yeah, I think I view golf as a, like, the reason I love golf is because I feel like I'm a lone wolf in life. Like I love to be like fiercely independent and that's why I love golf. Cause it's all on you. And that's why I love stroke play events because it's just like, I'm just going to go out here and do my thing and whatever happens, happens. And in match play again, mm-hmm. like it, it, or even like team match play. I think that's one of the reasons I can never prove it by why why Tiger was never great in the Ryder Cup. Because he's just always a lone wolf. You he can't, can't hide it. Fiercely independent killer type, but not that I'm like Tiger, but I'm just, you know, him being in a team environment like that, I, I just, I've always believed it. Just like, and a lot of other pro golfers too, it like took them out of their normal environment where it's all on them. And it's like, oh, now I got to worry about this other player, a teammate, an opponent. And obviously yeah. on singular match play, Tigers had an incredible record, but throwing this like team thing and it's like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you guys don't learn that in your regular games, you don't have four balls and things like that. I do. I I play a lot of team match play, but like my strategy is the same. I tee off and I say, I'm going to go out and play golf and you'll let me know if I owe you money at the end or you owe me money. I find like I have to be in this consistent bubble to play my best. And if I feel like, oh, we're pressed two down, like let's turn on the button and make all the birdies. It's like, no, you can't do that. Like that's golf doesn't work that way. Oh my God, totally. And yes, even in those team match plays, I find myself again, so focused on my own game, you almost forget 
that you have a partner because again, it's such a selfish game and you're just so worried about your, you know, so focused and worried about your own game. Like, how can I worry about her game too? I mean, it's too much, too much. Yeah. I I think this is a, for better or worse, like this is a pretty selfish game. You can use that to your advantage too, in the sense that worrying about what other golfers think of you and all that stuff. Like most people are just worried about themselves on the course. Like they'll notice if you lose your temper or slow or do something ridiculous, but it's such a mentally encompassing game that it's just a more selfish, independent game. It is. You guys don't play a lot of foursome golf, do you? Where it's alternate shots. So one player tees off, your partner then hits the next ball. Now, no, that that's is torture. The- that is the that's, that's the default that's, in UK. Uh, that's the default for that's me. Like, it's so much more pressure. Yeah, that's I'm sorry, golf. <laughs> You're just yeah, saying like, oh, yeah, I'm, sorry, exactly. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My friend invited me to his member guest a few years ago, and they had an alternate shot format. And I remember before we teed off, I'm like, do not apologize to me, and I'm not going to apologize to you, exactly. whatever happens out here. Exactly. That format is tough, especially for invitationals and, you know, guest days and whatnot, because you feel like you don't play the course, you don't play around, you know, you're just yeah. hyper-focused on this alternate shot and not disappointing your partner. It's, that's tough. I don't know why we do it. <laughs> All I know is that we, we're good at it in the Ryder Cup, right? <laughs> so it prepares us for that. <laughs> There's no question that there is some type of cultural advantage that the Europeans have over the Americans. At least in that part, yeah. Yeah, I think it's because it's more the competitiveness and the, and the teamwork's more baked into the culture over there. Like when I went to Scotland, and I'm sure you know, you've know you gone to Scotland and Ireland as well, Tori, like just talking with a lot of local players there and even hearing from them on Twitter, like I just think it's so cool that they got all these like different clubs that play against each other. We don't do that as much in America. Like you don't see country clubs playing against each other like it's mostly just kind of like oh we're gonna stay over here and you're over there and we'll, we'll do our own yeah, thing i didn't realize that i didn't yeah. realize that was the case but yeah actually the women do have inner club we do have inner club so that is common and at least in arizona and i see a lot in the women's communities around the country so we do we do do that travel to different clubs and play against each other it definitely exists but it's i think it's more of a default in the in the UK, more so amongst men from what I've seen. That's the goal usually is to get into the into the team, the club teams so that you can go and play around other events. So yeah, it's it's a big thing. We got loads of different levels of it as well. So you get the 15 handicappers playing against other 15 handicappers around different counties. So yeah, it's interesting that it's not as, as big a format in America. So here's another question for you, Tori, because I think this is this is what all golfers, especially the ones who like to compete, think about and worry about as their your season's starting in Arizona. It's a goal thing. Like a lot of golfers struggle with like setting the right goals. Are you looking for external accolades like winning another club championship or finishing like this in this tournament? Or are you going to look more inward and be process oriented and being like, I'm going to try and figure things out in my game and whatever happens, like as long as I'm doing the right work, have the right perspective, that'll all take care of itself. Like, how do you, how do you fall under, under that when you set goals for yourself? Yeah, I got to say, I'm more of a, I'm more of an accolades, words of affirmation, (laughs) significance side of a personality. I definitely think of goals like I would like to be Arizona woman of the or player of the year again. And I do want to, there are certain tournaments that I do want to do well in. I do want to win. 
So I'm definitely more in that mindset. And, you know, yes, we are constantly followed by this handicap index that is telling us how our game is going right now, which could be maddening. But I know that I'm very close to that plus one still. I know that I could go out any day and shoot like a plus one. And I've kind of come to terms with not having a handicap goal anymore. And maybe that's because I I did reach the scratch level and was there for about a year and a half. And that was always a goal of mine. But what drives me and what I train for is to be able to show up to events that mean a lot to me and play the best I can. And knowing too that I've done everything I can. Yeah. You have those tournaments way back in the day where I showed up thinking that I was prepared and I wasn't. And I just don't want to feel that way anymore. I want to know stepping up on the first tee, like I've done everything I can. So let's see what happens. And, you know, you're able to accept it a lot quicker if things don't go your way. I don't think there's much else to do. I mean, that's kind of a similar way that I feel about my own game is that, you know, if I'm not putting in the work, then I'm not entitled to the results I want. And if I am putting Mm -hmm. in the work, that's giving me a better chance, but it doesn't guarantee it. And in terms of handicap, it's interesting that you hear that because I also, want a lot of, you know, everyone who's listening to this, we all have this, I don't know if it's a vision or what life is going to feel like when we hit a certain number, we do it to ourselves with money. I, I come back to this theme a lot. I'm sure people are sick of it, but I think it's an important life lesson is that you, you know what it felt like to reach quote unquote, the mountaintop when it said 0.0 on your, on your mm-hmm. handicap. Like, did mm-hmm. you wake up and feel any differently? Like, were you a better mother and a better wife? <laughs> no, <laughs> did, it, it did, did someone, feel good. It felt good. But did someone like show up as a flag? Be like, woo, you no. did it. Like there was no tip, ticker tape parade. <laughs> no. And honestly, we all know that no one gave a shit. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you cared and it was very yeah. satisfying to you because you put in all that work, but it's fleeting, right? It yeah. kind of goes away a bit. And then you're like, well, what's next? And there has to be like yeah. something else that's driving you a bit. That's what fascinates me most about golf. I also want it to be the thing that we continually talk about because I know there's so many golfers out there and I was too for a long time. That's just like, you're looking at that number on the screen and you're like, oh, that's my, that's how I'm supposed to feel about my game at the moment. Exactly. And what other sport is there out there that you know? No, it's crazy. (laughs) This rating that's in that, that is how good you are, right? Or no, that's your potential right now. And it changes every day, every round. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. I know tennis, tennis has it a little bit. I know there's a rating system in tennis, but it's not as granular as the handicap. Yeah, it's very broad. Very broad. But yeah, if you're, yeah, I guess, you know, if you're a runner, you know your times and stuff like that. But if you're playing basketball, it's like a, a traditional team sport, like you're not being, you know, the game doesn't yeah. end and you're just like, oh, you're a 2.3 now. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. what the hell? what I do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting. Just I always love to hear from players like yourself who have reached a high level and it's like, well, you're not going to stay there forever. You're going to bounce back and forth a bit. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've played with a lot of golfers who get later on in their golf life and they're not the same player that they were. and. I think that's that's a hard question to ask yourself if you're if you're not playing to the best you ever played like can you enjoy yourself or there's always the question like is this as good as I'm going to get mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get any better than this and can I be okay with that yeah and actually that reminds me of the college players 
that played and, you know, were at this super high level and then they take a break. And I'm thinking of women in particular, you know, they take a break and maybe they get married, have a couple of kids and they decide to come back on the golf course 10, 15, 20 years later. They get super frustrated. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. They know what they're capable of, and they're nowhere close to that right now. I'm almost grateful I didn't play college golf because of that. I think it would be 10 times harder. I mean, I not that I, I, I was not a great junior player, but I think I went through a lot of that in my 20s where I'm like, oh, I should be able to shoot a 76, no problem when I play, and I didn't. I just lost my mind. It's it's silly, but again, it's it's the misalignment between the work you're putting in and what you can expect of yourself. So if you're someone who took 15 years off, you know, college, you had nothing but time yeah. to play and yeah. work on your game. And then life got in the way. And yeah, it sucks to tee it up 15 years later and you're not the same player, but you, yeah. you have to make peace with that or else you're not going to enjoy it, right? What's the point of playing then? That's why as a coach, I'm, I'm trying to think of ways of, you know, improving golfers that don't require as much time because, you know, when I was a kid, I used to practice maybe 80 hours a week. You know, my parents used to drop me down at the golf course seven in the morning and I used to come home at night when it was like 10 o'clock. So summer holidays, it was just every single day was like that. And now, you know, I, I barely get an hour of practice a weekend before I go and play one round of golf if I'm lucky. So yeah, it's, it's figuring out how you know, I've, I have figured it out for myself. You know, I'm a better player now than when I was practicing those 40, 80 hours a week. And the reason why is more knowledge. You know, I'm not putting in as much work, but I have different knowledge. I'm able to miss a ball left and just say, well, this fix is very simple. You know, flashing the face open, understanding that we all are living, we all have busy lives, kids, family, work, and we've got to try and maximize our improvement with all these obstacles, really. Do you feel like you touched on this a little bit earlier? We're going to do some broad generalizations here, I guess, but just curious on your experience. Do you feel like you're an aberration in the female game in terms of how competitive you are and how much you take pride in your handicap and tournament results? I'm sure you've played with a lot of men. Like, do you feel like women have a better chance of having more fun and enjoyment out of yes. golf because they don't fall into that trap that a lot of type a crazy men do and some women yeah. do you see that yeah 100 percent. i think that well first of all it's tough because i know there's a lot of women that are very competitive as competitive as i am but it's almost sometimes uh, not welcomed in a in a female community sometimes you know like it, you almost want to hide it oh really so you, you're kind of like an outlier yeah well no but meaning like in with the men and i don't know correct me if i'm wrong but it's like you're competitive, you want to win. And you say that and it's known and it's welcome in a men's community. That's how you guys bond is being competitive and being out there with women. There's not a lot of women going out there saying, I, I want to win today. And so maybe I'm unique in that where I'm very open about, you know, I'm competitive. I want to win. Now, do I want to have a good time? Yes, I do. I do want to have a good time, but I want to win too. And so I think that that sometimes is frowned upon in the female community to to be hyper competitive or to at least be open about it. But I do on the flip side think that the women value having a good time and just being out there and having a sense of community a lot more and that they're able to enjoy themselves a lot more when they're not particularly having a good game, you know, than maybe men do. 
And maybe those are two real big generalizations, but I just, I do know, yeah, I do know for sure community is a big deal to us. I think that's one of the things that whatever gender you are, I think that's the ultimate goal of recreational golf is figuring out some type of version of the game where fun and enjoyment like come first. And yeah, I think based on your experiences and my experience, I think men are going to struggle with that a bit more because they're used to like measuring themselves by like numbers and money and all that type of stuff. And it creates this like scenario where, yeah, you might get a little too overboard with that stuff. And then golf becomes more of a chore and this like constant, what I shoot, what I shoot, what I shoot versus the first thing people ask you when you play golf. I played golf today. What they, you know, everyone is, what'd you shoot? Yeah, exactly. I think my mom would say, like, did you have fun? <laughs> like, no one asked you, yeah. did you have fun? Yeah, yeah. How was it out there? Yeah. What'd you shoot? Yeah. Or, or the, you know, the first question when they meet you on the first tee box, well, what's your handicap index? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's not things that are asked in our community over there. But, but yeah, I just think that we're able to kind of accept what's going on and just try and enjoy it just a little easier, possibly. But I mean, tr- trust me playing a bad round of golf or struggling out there on the golf course, that, that hinders the fun. And, and part of the challenge at that point is not spewing it onto your other players in your foursome and making sure that, that you try and behave yourself and have as much good energy as possible in that situation. You know what I mean? I think that's definitely the universal thing is we all want to play well, regardless of what our main goals are for golf. But yeah, I think from the research I've seen, it seems that it's men play more for the competitive aspect. Obviously, there's everybody's different, but as a broad generalization, men play more for the competitive aspects. Ladies play more for the social aspects. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's important to know, you know, if we're trying to get more women into the game understanding their goals and and reasons for playing and what their obstacles are as well. I think we're all uncomfortable when we first start playing. We all don't know what to do, but I think that might be more more the case for some ladies, you know, needing that group coaching, being in the community, I think would be very important there. Absolutely. So what's your goal for, you know, your business? Is it to get as many women into the game as possible? Like, what do you... What are you working towards over the next five, 10 years? Well, here's the thing with growing the game and that, that saying. Growing the game to me personally is showing women the path to many different things, showing them how to get a handicap index, how to sign up for a tournament, how to play in a state tournament, You know, doing all those things. I'm more about sharing the journey and different ways and traveling to go play golf that for me is growing the game, not necessarily pulling someone off the couch and coming to, to the course. I just more like to show all aspects and encourage women to do all these different things. You, you started playing last year. Okay. Do you have a handicap index yet? Nope. Time to sign up for one. Go find a ladies league, sign up for one of the league tournaments. That for me is what growing the game is for me personally. And as far as business wise, my goal, uh, Five to 10 years, huh? I, I do want to perfect these events. Every time, you know, I, I have the participants take a survey after every event. I want to make these events as, as special as possible. 
you know, I think it's a way for these women because they come from all over the country. Like the Desert Classic in Phoenix has representation from 36 different states, Canada, Mexico, and even the UK. I mean, it's crazy. It's 200 women from all over the place. And you and told so, me this thing sells out in like seven minutes, right? Oh, yeah. So we're doing actually two weeks in a row this year. And the reason for that was that the first one sold out in less than 10 minutes this year. And the wait list grew so fast that I was like, oh, my God, well, maybe I guess we can do another one. And I called the golf course. His name's Daryl, the general manager. And I was like, Daryl, hypothetically, if I did another one, could we pull it off? And he's like, well, do you want to do that? Like, are you going to be okay if you do? So he could, and and we sold out the next one in less than a week. And it was just, yeah, I mean, these women, they want, so I just want to make these events as good as possible. We just had one in Dallas. We're going to Napa next year. That I have a lot of passion around. I do enjoy doing it. And then, yeah, just showing my journey along the way. I want to be able to talk to the woman that really wants to get better. Like that's who I'm really talking to. Specifically, her name is Francine. That's my avatar. Her, nice. her name's always been Francine, and she wants to get better. And it doesn't matter what level she is. doesn't matter if she's a beginner or 20 handicap or a 10 handicap. She just has this desire, this passion to master golf and to put herself out there and, and get better. And it brings her joy to do so. What are like the most... I get some of my best content ideas. My book is essentially answering all the questions I've gotten over the oh, years. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious to see, and a lot of like similar questions have emerged, obviously. So I always felt like my email inbox or the DMs is like a confessional booth for golfers. Mm -hmm. What does yours look like? Like, what are the top questions that you get? I'm just curious to hear what they're like. That's a great question. It's a question Here's about questions. I know. Here's the thing. We love golf clothes, John. Okay. okay so, so in, in the ladies field, we have a lot of questions. Okay. What, what, what kind of pants are you loving this year on the golf <laughs> course? So we're getting a lot of golf clothes questions. Handicap questions are very common. Signing up to get a handicap index. It's a very mysterious thing still. So normalizing that, becoming more of a, I just go play golf with my husband to actually signing up for a ladies league. And then just curious questions about my game and what I'm up to, you know, uh, again, I like to show all sides of it. So, you know, working out, going to work out in the morning to using the, the stack system to go into the range and then, you know, to playing. So I get a lot of questions about my game and, and if, if using the stack system would be good for their game, even though they're a beginner, you know, stuff like that. So they're usually just repelling off of what I'm showing them. But it's all, it's definitely all levels. It's funny. I, I've, in the last 10 years, I've gone to the PGA show a lot. And um, it's funny, the apparel game has gotten, even on the men's side, like men are becoming like very, very, very into like their styling and scripting. Like you always see people on, I've done it myself. I'm like, go on a golf trip. Let me get out all my new shirts and yeah. pants and everything. Oh, yeah. What's the women's apparel game looking like these days? Are there a lot of like, one of my favorite things is to see smaller independent brands grow in golf. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of that, like Roback, for example, is a company that comes to mind. Like they make awesome shirts. I know they make a lot of women's stuff now too. And Link Soul. I've, I've just seen like a lot of these brands kind of emerge. Like, are there a lot of female specific brands like that? Or are you kind of stuck with the bigger ones? Like what's the deal with the apparel? No, absolutely. There are so many smaller brands coming up. And actually those are the ones that I kind of steer towards because 
most of them are women-owned, and they started them because they couldn't find what they wanted to wear on the golf course. That's always the best so idea for business, solving your own exactly. problem. Yeah. So there's so many, and that, and that's one of the things that we do at our big events is we have a shopping night where we bring a lot of these new, newer, smaller women-owned companies to come showcase their, their apparel. But that's really, there's so much great stuff out there now. I'm rarely buying the big Nike, Adidas, Callaway apparel anymore because there's really so many options that you're getting better stuff. And you know, dress codes are evolving, which is nice. I'm still a traditionalist. Like I'm always wearing a collar. I still can't golf with a hoodie on, you know, it's, it's getting in the way back there when I'm swinging. But I find the same thing. I have some hoodies. Hoodie? And I'm like, I put this on tour before. I'm like, why would I want this thing whipping around on my neck? Like I'm not opposed to people wearing hoodies. Like I really couldn't yeah. care less. Like I'm not like a snob like that, but I'm like, I don't want this thing like whipping around my neck while I'm swinging. No, I mean, we're trying to get a couple extra yards yeah. here, John. I mean, we can't get this hoodie coming all around. No, it's evolving for sure. And you see it at the PGA show when you go there, all these brand new brands and everything. And, and it's merging a lot with tennis apparel. So that's nice. And it's funny that you bring up the PGA show because when I go there and I see these brands, I mean, it's hard to believe how many men's polos they can make. I mean, it is just endless. It really is. Like, uh, I mean, it's still this, just the same old polo, but it's a different, different style, different uh, graphic on there. I mean, it's like, wow. Well, the, the patterns have become big and I've fall, I've, I've switched over to the patterns. Like I'm getting a little you louder. Have? Yeah. I'm getting a little louder yeah. with my like wow. uh, apparel choices. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch because I think, you know, before 10 years ago, like no one really cared. You just kind of got your Adidas or Nike, whatever, like solid polo and your bland khaki pants. And now it's like a whole thing, which is, you know, it's cool. I like, I mean, it's it's a good business opportunity. I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs do really well with it. So I love to see that. But yeah, there's no, I, I think it's happening with men too. Like it's styles becoming important on the course. So when are yeah. you going to start your clothing brand? I don't know. My sister's in the apparel industry and I see how much work it is. And like I said, it's crazy over there. I don't even know how how I would find the time. So I I enjoy supporting all the other brands out there and I will continue to do so. Nice. So as we wrap up here, do you have any, again, I'm not asking you to speak on behalf of women because that's silly, but in your experience, like what you've seen on like how you know, women are interacting on the golf course or stuff like that. We have mostly men listeners to this. Like, what would you say to them? Be like, just understand about females coming into golf or playing in the game. Is there any words of wisdom you can give the other half? Okay. This is what comes to mind. The biggest tip I have, if you are a man and you enjoy playing golf and you enjoy being able to go play golf whenever you want, you want your wife to play too. Okay. She's not going to want to play with you. She's going to want to go play with her friends. Okay, that's the easiest way for you to golf as many rounds as you want is to make sure your wife plays golf too. And she will go find her own life in golf. She will not want to play with you every single time. So that is what happened in my relationship. I see it over and over and over again. If you want to play golf as much as you want, welcome her to the sport too. And you might have to help her for a year, a couple months or so, and maybe guide her in the right direction and teach her things. You don't have to teach her about the swing by any means, but, you know, teach her things around the golf course. But as soon as she finds her people, finds her league, finds her own path, you'll be able to golf as much as you want. 
And then no one will feel guilty about being gone all day on Saturday. Oh my God. (laughs) Anytime my husband wants to go play golf, I'm like, bye, see you, go. (laughs) And he is the same way with me. You know, that is our outlets. And, and there's never, I see sometimes situations where there's animosity towards one partner playing more golf. And it's like, yeah, you just, you have to both play. That's the only way. Man, marriage goals right there. That's incredible. (laughs) So that's, that is my advice for the other half for sure. It's harder when you have younger kids, obviously, because like, yeah. Every weekend's like, what birthday party are we going to? And like, oh, you're yeah. like just no, so consumed by that. But my wife knows more about golf than I would say 99.9% of people because she's edited every single word I've ever written. <laughs> and she doesn't play at all. She doesn't. She's a good athlete. She was a really good tennis player and she's hit golf balls in front of me and she could do it. She's just genuinely not like my son and daughter, like no one in my family is interested in this game, but I still hold out hope that when our kids get older, I can get her to take it up. But I do see some like husbands and wives playing together and it seems really hard to pull off. In what respect? I've never played golf with my wife. She's watched me play. But Mm -hmm. just get your wife to play with other women. It seems like I see a lot of husbands will be like, oh, you're you're doing like they'll they'll get too instructive to that. And then you can see like the wife's getting pissed off. You gotta get her comfortable enough to go to the range and hit balls on her own. So she's gonna need someone, she's gonna need a buddy to do that with for a little a little bit. But once she gets that confidence, she'll see the group clinics that are going on and she'll, she'll start to see an instructor and she'll start to see all the women. Cause again, the optics are so much different now. She will see all the women out there. It's quite something. I mean, women are on the golf course now much more. It will happen naturally. I will bet on that later once the kids are a little bit more on their own. Yeah. They're not right Less now. Less birthday parties. I know. God, it's just I'm so glad I'm at a birthday party like, stage. Everyone's like a birthdays every weekend. Oh, you got to get a gift. <laughs> I know. Well, oh, now yeah, you just yeah. the, honestly like I am. I feel fortunate to live in this era because you just click a button on Amazon now. Before yeah, you had to go exactly. to like Toys R Us and like drive somewhere, and I just be like, brutal. Best toys for seven year old girls on Amazon and click buy Order. now. <laughs> Done. I'll get it tonight between <laughs> three and six p.m. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tori, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show, talk about your game, the state of the women's game. I hope we learned something good here. You have like seven hundred places where people can find you. <laughs> You're huge on TikTok, Instagram, you have your website, you have an online practice, like you have so many, give yeah. us, give us a yeah. few resources so to the, go to. The good thing about me is that I have a, I do have a unique name. So Tori Totless, T-O-T-L-I-S. So usually if you can Google that, everything will pop right up. Instagram, Instagram's mostly where I'm hanging out and TikTok. And then again, the website's ToriTotless.com. And I have my podcast that comes, we do two episodes a week, Tea Time podcast. But again, even on a podcast platform, all you have to do is search my name and it will come up. Nice. The beauty of the internet. Exactly. It's it's very easy and the beauty of having a unique name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for coming on. Definitely check out our stuff. I've told you this offline. I'll say it online. I'm super impressed. You know, Adam and I do this for a living as well. And your branding, I aspire to it. It's very, it's very sharp. 
you've done a great job with that. So I think I a lot of create well, a lot of creators, like I know we have people listen to this who are like aspiring creators as well. And I hate the term influencer, but whatever you want to call them. But you've done a really good job of creating like a slick and cohesive online experience. So everyone definitely check out Tori's stuff. It, it is super impressive. Like I've seen a lot of people do stuff online for golf and you've built quite a following and I know how hard that is to do. So congrats on all of that. I appreciate that. Thank you, John. And thank you for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. I follow both of you guys regularly and you're some of the best content creators in golf by, by far. I enjoy a lot of it. So thank you for doing it. We that. just say the same simple stuff over and over again. It's really quite easy. I know, but we need to hear <laughs> the same simple stuff over and over again. Like that, it doesn't matter. We need to hear it again and again and again yeah. and again. Coaching <laughs> equals different ways to say the same thing. Adam, where can everyone find your stuff? adamyungolf.com forward slash H-A-C-K-S hacks. That will get you a free ebook with a lot of the simple stuff that we talk about. And John, where can people find you? You can check out my book, The Four Foundations of Golf. I, I think Practical Golf has finally relaunched when this episode's live. I don't know. Hold me to it. Mm, congratulations. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and I've got a, a free little mini course that I always put the link in the show notes so you can get four free I'll call them little coaching sessions for me. So check that out. So once again, thanks to all our listeners, your feedback, appreciate the support, and we will see you next time with a new episode.